Welcome to Kashrus on the Air, your weekly radio show dealing with kosher issues for the kosher consumer. And tonight we, dis- uh, we begin some of our Pesach preparation programming. And I think we'll find some of the material that we're going to be discussing interesting. And you'll be able to call in a little later, either with questions, with comments, or general discussion, hopefully around Pesach. But if it's not around Pesach, we'll also take your calls a little bit later. First, let me just start uh, discussing a little bit of our program tonight. We have every year the same issue that takes place right after Purim. Some houses it takes place right before Purim, but basically right after Purim, immediately the mind goes to Pesach, and the first thing mind is cleaning for Pesach. Women uh, find that four weeks or three and a half weeks is not enough. Men uh, find something else to do, and uh, children are still busy in yeshiva, and it seems the burden is put on the women. So we've been talking about this in Kashas Magazine for 35 years. Mostly we quote either Rabbi Scheinberg, Scheinberg, and we quote my Rebbe Zatzal, Rabbi Shazim and Zatzal. These are the people that we quoted in the magazine giving suggestions of how to deal with preparation for Pesach. And that's part of what we're going to be taking care of today is participation and uh, activities involved in preparing for Pesach, in the home itself, cleaning, etc., getting the house ready, even before anybody buys any kosher Pesach items, and be, certainly before we prepare for the Seder and, and Kasha the house. But the very, very first part is the responsibility to make sure that the house is clean for Pesach. Well, interestingly enough, uh, you, you, you see women working very hard at it, and invariably the men saying that this isn't necessary, it's spring cleaning, it's not really cut, uh, cleaning for Pesach. And this is always the discussion back and forth. I'm going to give a little bit of an understanding based upon what's written in our magazine over the years by Rabbi Scheinberg and Rabbi Zim and Zatzal, and uh, try to give everybody a little bit of uh, help, some of the ideas that were given by one of our writers who did a, a very interesting article. I worked together with her on it. It was a question about uh, how to prepare Pepe Pesach in 59 minutes. Of course, people think that uh, we were just joking. Of course, in the 59 minutes was a little bit of a, a push. But the, the idea was how to prepare for Pesach in a quick way and see that what's really, really necessary and what's not. Interestingly enough, uh, one of the uh, people in the Basin called us up Today, I believe it was, or yesterday, probably was yesterday, and they told us they need the, that article very badly, about the 59 minutes. The gentleman who was uh, involved with the based in there, actually somebody who had been on this radio show, he said that, that he needed that article because he's going to be speaking on the preparation for Pesach uh, in front of a, a group of ladies, and he wants to refer to that article because that really gave a, a certain perspective about how uh, there is a, a shortcut to preparing for Pesach. I mean, there's a long way and there's a shorter way. But before anything else, let's just try to get a little perspective. In the Gemara, I'm talking about Gemara Pesachim, right at the beginning, clear as a bell, what, what is the uh, requirement to clean for Pesach and to, and, and, and to make Pedikas Chometz? The Gemara discusses the question about Pedikas Chometz. That's the first mission in Pesachim, dealing with uh, uh, preparing for, uh, for Pesach, getting sure that there's no Chometz in the house. 
And the Gemara uh, deals with that, but there's a problem, and Toysus discusses it, and that's the fact that the Gemara later on says that we have to make bittel. And if a person makes bittel, where he nullifies the chametz and says, it's all hefker, and I don't want any of it anymore, and it's kehefker, kehafer da'ara, it's like the dust of the, the ground. That's how I look at it as dirt. I don't look at it as real food anymore. If that's how you made the chametz, then what does it matter if you find it on Pesach or you don't? It's not yours anymore. It's hefker. That's the question Tois takes up, and he says that even though you, you were fulfilled the mitzvah, of, you, you, you no longer own the chametz, but there's a problem. The Lord discusses it. It's possible that a person will, on Pesach, see a piece of chametz that looks very nice, maybe a whole cake. Rav Aaron Kutlizatzal once found a whole challah that the boys had left in the base in the dormitory. He was going around cleaning up, uh, checking make bidirus chametz. So then the night before the Pesach, and he found a big whole challah there. So you, you could find a big piece of something on Pesach, and daita iluya, and you'd have your mind on it, and that means that either you would be uh, nullifying your nullification by wanting it, so maybe it sort of uh, takes it takes back the chametz and, and it's sort of saying you never really were mavatel it, or it's maybe you were mavatel it, but at least now you want it, so at this point it becomes yours again, and you're coin it, and the, the, the whole preparation for Pesach is out the window. So for these two reasons, you have to make a bedikah. But we see from this a number of things. Number one, we see that once you make bittel, that takes care of the chametz on a daraisa level. According to the Torah law, it's not yours anymore. And the only problem would be if you find something that looks gishmak, that looks very nice, and you want it on Pesach, which crumbs in the carpet, or mashahus left in the in the svarim, or anything of that nature is definitely not included in this. It has to be a kazayas. It has to be daita agluska yafifya, a nice piece of something. It's not going to be a crumb. So we do have a concern about crumbs, but what this Gemara is saying, and we should all remember this, is that the crumbs are not what the Torah, what the Gemara said about Badika's chametz. Badika's chametz is not looking for crumbs. And and that's why you have to be something that's significant in terms of size that a person would really want to keep and eat, or at least to keep, and he wouldn't his, he would not really want it to become hefker. But a tiny little crumb, nobody in his mind wants that. And uh, it's true on the table if there's some crumbs left over after after the suda, somebody might take a little bit of a matzah, a little crumb, and want to put it in his mouth. Something fell, a little teeny thing, and I'm going to pick it up. But as far as uh, the gluska yafifi of a daitiluya, the way the Gemara describes it, that doesn't apply to a crumb. It only applies to a full piece of kazayas or more, something that's interesting, etc. So that's the first point that chametz is, even a drop of, of, of uh, chametz is chametz for Pesach, and if it gets into food, it becomes, a, we have an isa of mashahu, that's true, as far as if it affects the food. But, and maybe we have a concern from the shoe to here to there, it'll get somehow into your food, fine. You have a concern. But the regular halacha of Bidika's chametz, and getting rid of all the chametz, is basically talking about large pieces, and not uh, tiny crumbs.
So that removes some of the, the tension already. Now, as far as, uh, as far as what do we have to do? So we have to be concerned that every drop that falls on the floor somehow is going to end up on our food. That's extremely unlikely. And nobody that I know, I mean, maybe there are such people, but nobody that I know gets on the ground and examines every part of the weave of their, uh, of, of their floor, of, the, you know, of, their, of their carpet uh, before Pesach. So even if you use a vacuum cleaner, that can't remove every mashahu of chametz. And even if you'll, do a, you'll have it specially cleaned by the cleanser, that may, that may make it not edible anymore. But as far as actually removing it, it's basically impossible. If you have a carpet, some amount of chametz is in your house on Pesach. But there's no concern. Just like when you come in from the outside, I don't know any houses, but there probably are some, where they make you remove your shoes on Pesach because you're bringing in crumbs from the outside, and you have to go around and especially a special uh, slippers or shoes that are inside the house that have been properly cleaned and inspected by whoever it is, and this way you wouldn't have a mash of a crumb. I don't think that that's um, you know, a common practice, and even if it were, you understand from the drug, it's impossible that a crumb couldn't dislodge. But there's no concern that that's going to get into your food. Now, again, some people are very careful that anything falls on the floor, they wouldn't eat it the rest of Pesach. So, okay, so for sure, then, then, then that crumb is not going to get into any of their food. There's absolutely no concern. And if uh, somebody knows that the floor is clean, he will just, she just washed the floor, something falls on Pesach, and she's not, she doesn't have a concern of that mashu coming from the rug and, and traveling in the bottom of the shoe and ending up over here. So you know, there's no reason to assume it ended up over here. And then that's different than hugging about uh, something falling on the floor. But as far as the as far as that crumb getting into anything, it can't climb out, can't jump up. It's not a concern for us. And even though we have those little crumbs that might be in our house on Pesach, that doesn't affect us halachically. So that takes away a little bit of the concern that that women have, and maybe men also, about uh, about uh, being very serious. You know what uh, what are they supposed to do? Maybe a masha who got into something. Okay. But, pu- but pushing that aside, we come now to the question, what is required of me? So let's take the Svarim, which is a good example of something with a different menhagim. There are those people who check all the Svarim before Pesach. They actually take each Sefer, and they uh, either do it quickly and flip it to all the pages, or they sit there... Uh, opening them or shaking them, whatever, whatever their minhag is, and other people don't do it. So what is what's going on over there? So let me explain what the problem is. It's true that in a safer there's only going to be a tiny crumb. If you ate a, a matzah or a bread, challah, or a cookie or a cake on top of the safer, some a little crack, a little uh, drop of Chametz fell into the cracks in the swarim, so in between the pages, so a little bit of chametz lodged over there. We said those are only drops, they're only little crumbs. But then again, you like to learn the swarim at the table. So here's where people, different people, deal with this issue differently. There are those who actually do clean all the swarim, and others who only clean the swarim that they bring to the table on on Pesach 
that it won't bring a safer to the table unless it has been cleaned. Maybe some of them won't even use it at all if it hasn't been cleaned. But if it ha- but they don't necessarily go through a thousand svarim just because there may be crumbs in there. And yet there is a, a minute that some people have to check all the svarim. So what is going on? The answer is as follows. If you have a svarim shrunk, what we call a bookcase, and you have in there, let's say, for example, a hundred svarim. So now in those hundred svarim, each page may have a one crumb, uh, there may be 20 pages in a, in a safer, if you learned it a lot. Maybe there's a crumb on each page. I don't know if there's that many. But that's not a, be a kezayis. But if you take all of the svarim in your svarim shrank, all the svarim in the bookcase, and you collect all of the crumbs that are inside there, maybe it would make, a, make the shear of a, of a kezayis. And then it would be a shayla of owning it on, on, on Pesach. And even though, as I said, we, we made it Hefka, but it would be a shell of somebody, uh, you know, being concerned about that. And maybe, uh, uh, maybe you know, it, it, he, he would, he would uh, be in some way, uh, in some way he would be uh, allowing this to occur on Pesach. That a, a Kezai's worth was in his possession, whether he intended to have it, he didn't intend to have it, but it's there. So that's a concern that because some Svarim hold that the entire bookcase, your mitztarif, all the crumbs that are in there, it becomes like one unit, even though they're in different pages and different Svarim, etc. So that's why some people would go all this far. Others will say, that's very unlikely. Even if all my Svarim shrank, I don't think I have a Kezayah Sechom. It's even whatever I ate and I had pretzels and cake, cookies. I didn't get a Kezayah and all the Svarim together. I'm sure of it. And so therefore, but what about the fact that I want to use it on Pesach and come to the table? So some people won't bring the Svarim to the table where they're eating, with the table that we're putting food on, or even the tables where any exposure to the food, they won't bring that to, on Pesach to the table. And other people will. But they should be careful, examine, whatever. Probably a good etzah would be take a certain number of svarim that you like to use on Pesach. For example, the Gemara you're learning now, the Mishnah Brewer, Chelek Hay, dealing with Hilchus Pesach. Other svarim that you know for sure you're going to use on Pesach. It would be a good idea to quickly check through that. And this way you eliminate um, the shaila of getting any drops of chametz near the food that you would be eating, and I think you basically take care of the whole thing. But as I said, there are different minhagim, and we're not going into the different minhagim because all the minhagim of Pesach are Kurdish. Everybody should do what their family's done. Unless they learn through the sugi and they see that it's not necessarily that way. But basically, we're, going to not, we're not questioning anybody's minhag. People should continue to do what they do, but should understand it and understand actually how far we do have to go. So that's an example of how far to go. Now, another question that comes up, and it's very, very common, is where do I check? Now, many people look at the house and they say, there's so much here. And I ate hummus all year. It's impossible for me to check everything in the house. Well, the question is, do you have to check everything in the house? But there's hummus and there's the house and there's the round. So the halacha really is, that it's any place where chometz has been or might have been during the course of the year. Now, some places you don't bring chometz in there at all. I mean, in the bathroom you might bring, you might have chometz 
things that are, let's say, for example, certain alcohols and some certain pills, whatever it is. But basically, you're not bringing in food into the bathroom. Yeah, something in the bottom of the shoe. So in the time you clean it, you clean it. But to go examine how far are you going to examine in the bathroom. In uh, the, 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 the not there are places where there is absolutely no food brought in whatsoever. There are certain drawers and certain cabinets that you don't use at all. You use a storage for you put in coats there or whatever it is, and you don't. I think no food is there in any way. So that at a certain point, you know that there's no chametz brought in, but you have to use your head. It could have been in the pockets of my clothes. It could have been this. Each person has to analyze it and see to what extent they think that there's an issue. I'll just read a few words because I don't want uh, to believe it on my say, so I'd like to quote some of the uh, people who have worked on this and who have quoted in our magazine and other things, uh, other places as well. So let me just read a few words to you from uh, Rabbi Chaim Pinchas Scheinberg, who talks on this topic. And... This is what he said. I have to just get the right one because that's a different issue. Over the years, we vary what we print about it. So this is what Rapaim Pinchas Scheinberg says. If during the year, chametz is not brought into a place, that place does not have to be cleaned out or checked for chametz. It's the Neshulchan Aruch, or Echayim, Taf Lamed Gimel, Sif Gimel, and the Mishnah Brewer. Uh, Yud Zayin. So there you go. That's the source. Any article that is not used on Pesach does not need to be checked for chametz, provided it is put away properly and the chametz in it is sold. So again, you're not using it at all. There's no reason to worry about it. There are some people that take out all the china, all the silverware, and wash it all again and check it all of it. Al that's absolutely not required. Is it an Eitzah? Maybe. Maybe something got stuck in there. I'm not saying, I'm not going to tell you that there's nothing there at all. I can't guarantee it. If you want to do it, if that's your minig, call a kavot. But you can't say that it is required. Because Rav Scheinberg said, any article that's not used on Pesach does not need to be checked for chametz, provided it is put away properly, and the chametz in it is sold. Of course, we don't sell the chametz in the plates. We just sell the, the, the we just sell that, uh, we, we don't sell it, we put it away. Can't sell it because uh, there's no we, no one would buy the chametz that's balu in a plate. Then there are another one which is very important is that if these crumbs have been sprayed or cleansers been applied in some way in which they're it's inedible anymore, then we come to the famous halacha of nifsel miachilas kelev. If nobody would eat it, not even an animal, so then it's not considered food anymore. It started out as food, but now that it's been rendered inedible, even for an animal, you applied some kind of cleanser to it, then it wouldn't be an issue. And now this is one of the things that Rabbi Scheinberg says. Crumbs that have been rendered completely inedible to the extent that they're not fit to be eaten by a dog are not considered chametz. And that's in Arachayim. Tough mem base, sip base. So there you go. He, he gives us eights uh, to spray things a lot. My Rebbe also said it. So when you go into, let's say, a corner, as you try to get in, you can only go so far. So if you take a cleanser and you spray it in that area, then even if something would be left, it's not edible anymore. 
And the halacha, by the way, is that many people don't understand this, that you're not mechuyiv to become a carpenter and, and, and a plumber and start doing, take apart everything in your house. Because maybe something is stuck behind here and got trapped. It could be this chametz trapped in your house in places that you can't get to. But the Gemara talks about it, and Allah talks about it, as the rule of nafla alav mapolis. Imagine, if you would, that an entire avalanche occurred. Uh, something broken, uh, spilled all over there. And you can't get to it anymore. So that's called nafla alav mapolis. If you'd have to lift big, heavy items, or open the, the metal grates, or, uh, you know, take this apart, get your uh, pliers and your, uh, and your, and your uh, uh, screwdrivers and open this and tear this apart, and put it, but put it back together again afterwards. There's no requirement to do it because you wouldn't do it. Of course, if you find it was a loss of diamond ring, you'd go there, I admit. But that's not something you do in the course of the year. The only time you ever do it, the only time you ever touch this thing to take it apart is Erev Pesach. So it doesn't qualify for acquirement because it's like Nafla Love Mapolis. You on Pesach are not going there. You would never, ever go there on Pesach. The big heavy equipment that can't easily be moved, let it stay there, and it's called Nafla Love Mapolis. Clean the best you can towards it. Go try to get as close as you can underneath it and the sides or whatever. But if you can't do it, then spray and spray and spray. That's what the Eitzah is that these Rabbanim bring down. I'm quoting now from Rabbi Scheinberg again. The household cleaner used must spoil the crumbs to the extent that people would refrain from eating them. And that's it. So a very, very simple thing. Now, one one thing that I know uh, noticed that, uh, you know, that many people do... Uh, you know, as I said, they try to go in after these crumbs. One area, I, I must admit, is a little bit of a concern. And that is the place where the oven uh, touches on the sideboard. There's a little, in many houses, I don't know, maybe there's some places where it's perfectly aligned. But in most houses, all the houses I've seen, there's a little space, maybe a quarter of an inch an eighth of an inch between where the oven ends and the sideboard bit begins. And, you know, in the, in the new ovens, we can just roll out the oven, and it's easy for cleaning. So that's very good for cleaning. And, indeed, you should move it out because it's not a big spiel. And you can, it'll still be attached to the wall. You're not going to kill any of the equipment, and it's fairly easy to move it in and out. So that, I would say, should be moved. Whether you move a refrigerator, if it's a very big thing and it's, and it's stuck and it's like hard to move, then maybe you're not mechuyiv to move it. But something that's easily movable with certain equipment, I would suggest, yes, you do move it and then be, take special concern about that place where it came in contact with the sideboard. Because if you have a quarter of an inch between your oven and your sideboard over there, what's going to happen invariably is that schmutz is going to get trapped over there, and it does. And that does need to be cleaned very well. So there are things that are out of sight, but yes, you do have to go in there. There are other things that you don't have to go there at all. So if you have a Shiloh, you'll ask your Rav. But a lot of the things that we think have to be moved and have to be examined and taken apart really not have to be 
not really have to do all of that. So that takes care of a little bit of um, some of the areas we're talking about cleaning. And I, I'd love to hear some of your questions. And if you, can, you can contact us at 718-683-5858. And that gives a little bit of an idea, not that much yet, but a little bit of an idea of how far the cleaning goes. I also want to mention to you, and I'm speaking now to the children, to the husbands, as well as the wives. Mostly we're talking to the wives until now. Now we're talking very much to the children and to the husbands. It's a big undertaking, Pesach. And very much it, uh, it seems to fall on a housewife very often. Sometimes the husbands are very active, but very often it falls on the, on, the, on the housewife. And what's really needed this week is for the husbands, myself included, and the children to volunteer. You don't have to volunteer the very first week to spend six hours a day and, uh, you know, and scrub and scrub and scrub. But you could say, is there something I can do to help? That alone would make the woman's burden of, of starting this whole process a lot easier, psychologically and maybe even physically. Maybe a taco would make it a little easier. I said this recently to a group of children, and I, I was received very well, and they understood it, that there's a mitzvah here of the aim. Not just when the mother asks or father asks, uh, close to Pesach, can you please do this for me, but actually to volunteer to do it. Recently I had uh, a boy whose uh, father had some difficulty getting to shul, and uh, I was Shabbos, and I went to the boy and I told him, you know, you could volunteer to help your father do a couple of his errands that he tries to do right before Shabbos. Maybe you could take a couple of things on so he could get the shul easier. And that's the way children should be thinking, not responding to our requests, but children should be trained and should hear from people like me, rabbis, rabbis, they should be starting to hear that you should assume a responsibility on your own for helping out. It shouldn't be something that is requested of the parents. It be, should be something that's coming voluntarily. Now, again, I don't suggest this week that all the men line up and say, yeah, give me 10 hours worth of work. They probably are busy with other things this, this week and maybe next week too. But even though it's far away from Pesach, the woman has already started on Pesach cleaning. Maybe she's going into it a little further than she has to, but she's definitely working on it already. And therefore, it behoves us, the, the husbands, the children, to try to throw ourselves into it on some level and volunteer. That's what I would recommend to everybody. And the more people who do it, I think the more shalom bias there will be. And I think the more appreciation, and I think the people will gain from it as well, from offering that, it makes them much more part of it, and they show really concern for the, the burden that, the, 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 that usually one falls on one person in the house, usually the housewife, sometimes it's the husband, but whatever it is, it's going to fall mostly on one person, and it's nice when other people throw themselves into it. So I'll, we're available to answer your questions about Pesach, and we're going to be having uh, another three sessions before Pesach. We're going to discuss more specific issues about shopping and uh, about, uh, about, about koshering, et cetera, et cetera. But today we're just dealing with the idea of preparation for Pesach in the sense of it actually uh, physically preparing the house. So if you have the time, give us a ring, 718 
718-683-5858. Again, 718-683-5858. And if Pesach is not on your mind, so let's hear what is on your mind. Uh, it, if you want to text us, the text line is 347-927-8398. Again, the text line is 347 927 8398 and the telephone 718 683 5858 and before we go on with anything else on our show I'd like to just take a moment to mention our sponsor which is Glockmart conveniently located at 1205 Avenue M uh, a great place to shop especially for Pesach one of my favorite parts about Glockmart uh, I watched this years ago um, I've been watching them for years, and one of the um, one of the things that I found especially uh, wonderful in that store is the, the the awareness of Pesach. Now, Baruch Hashem, a lot of stores have Pesach sections, and the assumption is if you have a Pesach Pesach section, so that's guaranteed Pesach, and the regular Chomet sticker things are not going to be a problem, etc., etc., and eventually. The store moves more and more into Pesach, uh, you know, Pesach section until it takes over and there's only uh, the other items are covered over. Or in some stores, they have a whole new section and they like a whole, whole part of the store is closed off. And each store deals with it differently. But one of the things that's very important is that the quality of the workers, the people who are there, because ultimately, it's their responsibility. It's very easy between the deliveries that come in and the storage and, the, and taking it out to the shelves is very often that non-Pesach items end up in the Pesach section. And I've seen it and I've heard about it many, many times. I know people that were delivered. I don't know if they ate it, but they were delivered. Gefilte fish that had matzo meal in it. And they, they, I don't know if they served it on Pesach, but they were delivered by mistake because obviously both things are in the store, the Chometz sticker and the Pesach sticker. And many, many, many times there are things that are delivered, that, but delivered by mistake. So a store that has a good reputation for watching that is a store that should be respected. And that is one I got more I can give a personal witness is on top of that, very, very clearly, all their workers over there are properly trained, and they are constantly vigilant about it. Anyway, let's go on to mention a word or two about them. They're located at 1205 Avenue M, and you can save a lot of time if you park on the Valley Parking Service. You enter from the 12th Street entrance, down to East 12th Street, and they'll, right before you come to Avenue M, you stop over there at the corner, and they'll give in to the valet parking service, and they'll have your car ready for it to load up with all those wonderful items you purchase in the store. And the Glatmart, the quality meats is A1. They have uh, the Hashkocha, but from both the Star K and the Vatakashvas of Flapush. They have uh, Beis Yosef meats, expert Nikor, and at Glatmart, you're getting quality Kashvas. Glatmart is conveniently located at 1205 Avenue M, meeting your shopping needs is their top priority. If you meet Dove and Glotmart, tell them you heard about Glotmart over J-Root Radio on the Kashrus on the air. And now, without further ado, we're going to take our first caller. Go ahead, please. You're on the air. Okay? 
Go ahead, please. Hello? Hello? Yes, go ahead. Hi. Um, I'd like to ask about self-cleaning ovens. I've heard different, you know, whatever that you have to, some say that you just have to self-clean it. Others have said you have to easy off it. Some people say you have to cover it. What is the accepted thing for self-cleaning ovens? Okay. I, I, there's part of it. This is not really for the costuming today, but I'll answer you anyway. The, the, uh, the question, I am not... You know, I'm not up to date on everything about uh, ovens. There may be some ovens that have self-cleaning that are, are lower temperatures than they used to be. If the, if, the, if the temperature is approximately 900 degrees, which is what I was told uh, when they originally started with this, although I've heard recently that they may have lower numbers, but if it is that kind of a number, then we consider it to be completely koshered by the self-cleaning. And my Rebbe Zatzal used to tell us to take, if anything became not kosher, let's say the grates, he say, put it in somebody's self-cleaning oven. And that's all we ever do with self-cleaning. But the problem with self-cleaning is, uh, is that there's a lot of residue, like ash, that's left on the uh, equipment. So some people put it through twice, because this way the first time you end up with some ash, and then when you do it a second time, you're, you're burning it underneath there. Just like, for example, if you would have a, uh, a blowtorch. I saw this with my own eyes. You have a blowtorch, and you use a blowtorch on a pan, a sheet pan. And I've seen this happen. And what happens is that in the sheet pan, there's going to be a little layer of oil or grease or something like that. So that's what burns. That's what gets well done. But you haven't removed the actual thing. You have to remove what we call be'en, the actual food that was there, and afterwards you kosher. Now, you don't have to sit, if you sit there cleaning. That's the whole purpose of the beauty of the self-cleaning oven. But you may want to think of putting it through two cycles or maybe even a little less than two cycles in some ways to, bla- to break it. But otherwise, two cycles is definite that you're going to have it 100% clean. If you've cleaned it before, then you won't have that ash. And then, then you would only have to put it through once. So there's different uh, approaches. And, I, again, I would, I would say that for Pesach, you should put it through twice unless you clean it off significantly and you don't have that ash. Can I ask one other fast question? Sure. <clears throat> we got, someone gave us a gift of dates from Artisol. They have uh, a hexer that, honestly, I wouldn't trust. That's Israeli, and then they have an OU on it. Can I trust it for for the dates? Do I have to take Tremosamasis off it? What do I do with it? Right. Anything that has an OU, I mean, I'm, I'm not talking for the OU, but it happened to be the question that I know the answer. The, anything that has the OU from Israel, Trumas and Mises have been removed. All the issues of, of Eretz Israel have been taken care of. Uh, so that uh, w- whether that other Hashkoch is doing it or the people from the OU are doing it or, you know, the, the, the OU is all supervising it, whatever it is, it's being taken care of on the, on the level of OU certification in this country. And I had a gentleman a call last week or two weeks ago and was saying that, that, that people were asking me and some were telling me that, uh, that it's different in Israel than in America. It's the same organization and there are... There are liaisons between the United States and Israel. Obviously, there's somebody running the show there, but there's 
visiting and their supervision on a certain level, and they know just what they're doing in Israel. So it is being run in Israel the same way we run in the States. They would not allow anything imported that didn't have Chumas and Mises. It's impossible. No responsible Ashkach in America would, would deal with that. Um, mm-hmm. they, they're, so even if someone would normally only trust the Badats, it would be okay to, to trust them. So you, you're, not, you're not really being fair. First of all, you're now we're mixing in which Hushkoff is a better and worse. I don't really want to go there. But if you're mocked on what you'll call Hamish or Eretz Yisrael, that the Hamish Hushkoff is like the Badats of the Eidah Haredis and the Sheiris Yisrael and Rabbi Rubin from Mechovot and Rabbi Landau from B'nai Brak, Hushkoffers like that, those few Hushkoffers, they're not they're not even, we don't have anything in America, in my humble estimation, that comes near those hashgachos. Those hashgachos are what we call the Ela Ela. That's like the tops in the world, as far as I understand. They're they're conducting themselves on a very very different scale than America. If you understood the setup of Israel, and the way that they're doing hashgachos, you would you, you realize it right away. It's easier to get mashkicham in Israel because of the pay scale and the proximity. Every single thing in Israel can have a mashkiach tamidi. We can't have it so easily in America. And, and uh, the quality of mashkiachim is very high. I saw the tests that they take. I wish that all of our, uh, all of our rabbanim and yeshivas and everything could answer those questions from the test. It's a very involving test. A lot of material that they have to know just to be a mashkiach in Israel. So it's a wonderful setup. And, they usually, and the way it works in Israel is that you don't get to give a hashkiachim without the rabbanut. So Rabbanut is taking care of a lot of the basic work, and you're going further. It's an unbelievable mm-hmm. setup. We don't have anything comparable. So if you're marked on that, you don't worry. You don't have anything like that except those hashgachas. That's what it is. You're talking well, about and the, the OU question in America is whether is not, something America, like the majoral date needs that kind of. That's that's a different question. What's considered necessary? What's not considered necessary? That this is something I can't really decide for you on the radio show. <laughs> this is something that you have to dis- you know, discuss with a rov, your family, or whoever bought him in the fa- and, and and take it. And that's it isn't showing up. You want to you want to adjust it for me? Uh, okay. Okay, but just one second. Don't go. I'm just we're just trying to read this uh, uh, this email. So I'm saying that if you it, it, you can't look for that kind of level of ashkacha in uh, in the United States, and the OU does not profess to equal that level. The OU is doing what they're doing here. And therefore, if you, if you want to set up a standard, which is, well, I, I use the word higher, but if you don't want to use higher, then you can use different than the United States and different than all the Hashgachas here, then that's a different world, you know. So I can't, I can't answer it. What does it need? Let, let, let's say about dates. You talk about dates. Let's go into it a little bit. Trumas and Maestras is, it sounds very simple. You just do tumors and mysis. But like everything else, it's a procedure. You know, when you go to the doctor and you say, well, I have to have a little operation, so you, you just choose any doctor because it's a little operation. Or do you choose an excellent doctor because it's an operation? It's on you. So that, that's the, the, the kind of way I, I understand it. Uh, I, I know a little bit about tumors and mysis. I know a little bit about how they set it up in Israel. And you know, each person has his comfort level where he feels that something is being done properly. Those few big those few hashgachos that I mentioned are the only ones that I know of in Israel and pretty much in the world that are functioning on a top top level. 
rest of the world is satisfied with something which is A, level A, but maybe not A prime. Okay? Mm-hmm. Okay. So the question is whether you take it off without a bracha or you don't take it off or just whatever. Okay. Well, I, I don't, again, the OU is saying they did it. That's all we know. Whatever you mm-hmm. feel confident in, that's that's a level of comfort that each person has. That's what makes it Akashvus interesting that there are different levels of Ashkocha. OU represents the American standard of Kashvas. It's a solid, solid standard of Kashvas. I just had somebody ask me last night. He said that uh, he wanted to know about the wines in Israel, whether they meet the American standard for for Bishul, for Mubushul. In other words, in Israel... Some of the wines are not called Mavushal. But in American standards, it would be called Mavushal. So he was asking me about the procedure and whether they reach the level of Mavushal for the American standards, which is different. But that's what it is. Life is different. Okay? I don't okay, so in other words, I can, I can trust that they took off Trimus and Masis without the nonsense that some of the, you know, throwing it back the, in and bottled the shishim and no, all this no, kind no, of nonsense. The, I, don't know, I don't know about that nonsense, but the OU is very mockpit on Chumas and Mises for anything that is that was produced in their Israel. And they will their name will never appear on anything. They came to America or they came to another place or it's made in Israel that doesn't have Hafrash's Chumas and Mises. Okay. Thank okay. you very, very much. You're welcome. Okay. We have some questions here that we're eat we're texted in, but if you want to reach us by phone, we're here at the studio, seven one eight six eight three five eight five eight. And we're open to your questions on any topic, any, uh, anything that's interesting, hopefully about Pesach. But if not, we're ready to talk. 718-683-5858. Question. Are you allowed to go to a hotel motel on Cholamoid, for example, to Washington for two nights? Well, it doesn't make there's how many nights you go. The question he's asking about is a hotel motel. The halacha is when you come to a place Wherever you go, you have a chiyuv bedika. That room needs to have bedika made on it. So if you're going to be in the in, in Cholamoid, you have to actually make a bedika tzchamitz in that room. And I certainly would advise it. I know they have uh, they they, have, they pay a lady to clean maybe man they they clean the room and it's definitely been cleaned. But I can guarantee you that you will find something in that room whether it's a product that you normally put away and don't use on, on Pesach because it's, uh, you know, you, it, because you might, you know, it, there's something that, that may have chametz in it that you feel you're not allowed to, to use on Pesach, maybe in the, uh, the bathroom, or you have something that's in a drawer. It could be food items that they've given you because they give be nice to you. They're leaving some food over there for you in the room. It could be how well they cleaned everything. Yes, you have to make a bedika. How long does a bedika have to be in a hotel or motel room? If it's not a big suite, I think you can do it in five or ten minutes. I don't think you don't have to put out ten pieces. You just have to take either a flashlight or a, if you don't have anything else, you can take a match or something else and it, uh, turn off the light. Look around for a second with that and then turn the regular lights on and do your bedika's chametz means looking through seriously, make sure nothing is in that room. You just definitely have to do that. Uh, and if you're talking about now 
Because you mentioned hotel, motel. What about in a, in a front place? On the front place, if they have checked the room, then you can certainly rely on that. No different to that. And then you go to your uncle's house. You also don't have to uh, check the room because they've done it for you already. But you have to know that they checked it. Some places they may feel that, uh, you know, each person has his own responsibility. Yep, another caller? Okay, we're, you're on Kashmir on the air. Can we help you? Yeah, hello? Yes, go ahead. Yeah, hi. Um, thank you for taking our calls and sharing your knowledge with us about Kashmir. Um, I have a question, but it doesn't have to do with what we're discussing today. Okay. Like two weeks ago you were seeing how, like, things are mislabeled sometimes and, like, misleading. You said there was once, like, a Starbucks or a coffee shop that, um, someone saw a guy putting in not kosher milk into a salt container. Right. Yeah, so I'm just, like, curious, like, whose fault is that? Like, us customers, we're, like, we're buying the products thinking that it's 100% kosher because it says it is. So, like, I don't want to sound, like, so, like, fanatic or, like, lenient, but, like, who gets the Avera, you know? <laughs> who gets the Avera? Yeah, I like, because we're uh, eating it, we're thinking it's kosher. Ultimately, um, it, if if the store was owned by a Jew, uh, they they obviously uh, have a responsibility to us. But uh, I, I, I'm not a Kaddish Barco. I can't decide who's going to get which Aveyra and how big right, it's going to be. Like, you I don't think it's our fault. Like, if we're under the knowledge oh, that, that... That's a very interesting question. Now you're asking, you're saying to me, listen, this guy cheated. Do I have to worry about it? The answer yeah. is yes. Do you have to worry about it because I said here on the show, and everybody understood very clearly, that it's very easy for people to do that, and that there are a certain number of people who do it. I will tell you, in the, I will answer your question in the following manner. There is a, there, years ago, I did say this maybe once, but years ago, I, w- I was uh, giving a shear, and one of the Talmudim came over to me and said, Rabbi Wickler, you know, I was in a restaurant in Manhattan, and I saw that there was a big pot of water on the stove, and they took that big pot of water, and they put it into that metal urn that people use to, to keep the water hot. Normally, it fills directly from the, for, from the, the water system. But in this yeah. place, it seems they were putting hot water from the, from the stove on there using their regular pots. So that really, even though the, the, the coffee urn was only coffee and only water, but it was the tray for pots they were cooking it up in and putting it in there. Oh. So, I, so I ran to my Rebbe, and I said, and I asked him, what, what do we do about this? Should I announce that this is, you can't rely on buying a coffee in a regular, uh, regular uh, you know, restaurant or whatever? So he said, of course, today they, they want to be more machmir, but that's how we taught it. So he said, no, you don't have to worry about that. It's a story that happened once. You don't have to assume it's going to happen again. But, so basically, we sto- don't have to worry about it. Right, right but once again, when, hold on, let's go, let's go step by step. <laughs> let's go, let's, you're asking a good question, but I want you to hear clearly what I answer you. Okay. Yes. The, uh, so the story about the coffee, Rabbi Zimmerman said, one story, one time, forget about it. You don't have to assume it's going to happen. We're going with the law of averages. But this is not the same. This is where there's, in, there's a, an easy path for the person to misrepresent it. He doesn't. He is not Jewish. 
He doesn't care about kosher. Nobody in the world would know. It's, it's lucky this guy saw it, but in general, no one would ever discover it. And he's pressured for time, and he's going to do it. Now, I didn't say every non-Jew, every time is going to do that. But know, logic but... tells you that this is going to happen. Whether it's going to happen 1 out of 10, 5 out of 10, 1 out of 50, I don't know. I didn't do a study. But I'm telling you, it has to happen. That's different. Something that could easily repeat itself like this. I know, but it's very common because I go to Starbucks and Dunkin' Donuts all the time and it's surrounded by not kosher food. And even if I just got a coffee, I'm still like a little bit like nervous, you know? Right. So I'm, I'm, I'm I, don't know. I, I don't know, but that, the, the non kosher food, they're not mixing into your drinks. The, go to the website. I know, see but our, still, the, the hands, everything. Oh, yeah, well, why don't you, you should go to the, the website, crcweb.org. CRCWEB.org and read Rabbi Fishbane's articles about Starbucks. Read about the concerns about the cleanliness and the, the cleaning agents and the, and the regs and all that and the hands. He's got a whole discussion of it and it will give you a very good perspective. Yeah. What I'm giving oh, you okay, is something yeah. different. Here we're talking about substitution. And in this kind of situation, I have a serious concern for substitution. It's not going to happen by everybody. It's not going to always be that way. But, yes, there's going to be substitution. Anybody who denies it is actually not being realistic. I know. It's not the same thing as that case. Not that case where the urn wasn't working well and they had to get hot water because the urn wasn't working well. That's that's something you don't expect. But something where there's a, a, a gain, it's easily, it's right there, it's something... Yeah, that's going to happen. Thank you very much okay. for the call. You're welcome. Also, I have another question, if you have time. Go ahead, please. Um, yeah. This is, it has to do with something else. Um, recently, like, it became very popular, um, vegan, to be, like, right. no. Um, is it um, not acceptable to eat in a vegan place that doesn't have a hexer? A hundred percent. We wrote an article about it. It's right now. In the, I believe it's the um, March issue of Cautious Magazine. We have a whole article there. You contact me, I'll try to get you a okay, copy. And also, of it. Um, what if it's only juice? It's also it's only it's what? pure juice. Pure juice, and everything used was only used for fruits, fruits and vegetables. Well, I don't. Again, I don't know. Let's say the, is a fruit. One of the fruits is the grapes. Is there nothing no, else? Is there nothing else? Know. It you don't you. Are going to guarantee me they don't eat anything else? You'd have to sit there a long time to find out. Right, you have to sit there a long time. I just want to know, you know? Good it, to know these We things. don't belong in those setups. I know. We, we like, what if we're out of town or, you know? Out of town, the rabbis in the community do not preach you going to these places. Even the, in Manhattan, every other block, there's, like, fresh juice, and it's just, like, fresh. You see them put the juice I, in the I can't. I can't talk right now about that. I haven't researched it. I don't know what's the, what possible things could be concerns. Yeah. I would imagine the two main concerns are uh, if you're interest, if you're concerned about the scales and on that on, on the vegetable on the fruits, if you have uh, as a grape juice, if it's uh, if any additives that are in there. But a tomato, a, tom- a carrot or a tomato, if nothing is added, is a carrot and a tomato. 
So I, I, I really can't help you more tonight. Maybe we'll look into it. We've got a lot of okay. other people calling in. Thank you very okay, much for the call. Okay, so I appreciate everything. Hatsakaraba with your work. Thank you. Go ahead. You're on Cautious on the Air. Can I help you? You're on the air. Hello. Are you talking to me? Yes, you are. You're here. On the, you're on the radio. Okay. Sounds very faint. I just wanted to make a mention. Why do people have to go into these stores that they're mm-hmm. shallow? There's enough places you can go into right. a store and buy something that has OU. Why do you have to go into a store uh, that it's not right. Lechatkhila? Right. You, you live in Flatbush, Borough Park, one of the areas like that. Listen, people... I grew up in Muncie. Yeah. There was nothing there except if you brought it in from Brooklyn. Yeah, I understand. But you know, you, you, let's not make an issue. These, these stores, you don't go into them. You can't trust them. Right. But okay. You, Thank you very much. Your program is totally amazing. Be much Okay. Go ahead. Go, please. You're on cautious on the air. Okay. Before we take any more calls, I have a, a, a mountain of people who, who uh, texted us. I don't want to forget about them. Hello? Just one minute, please. Um one of the questions they asked, I love that, why do you quote Rav Chaim Pinchas Scheinberg, and it says it right in the Shulchan Aruch. So, you know what it is? It's psychologically. If I'll start telling the, the Shulchan Aruch says it, you'll, so you'll think that somebody else could think this way. There's, there's a lot of Mufarshim on the Shulchan Aruch. I'm only reading the Mechaber, or, or I'm only reading the Ramor. Maybe the Mechaber held differently. When I say Rebchayim Pinchas Steinberg, people could relate to it. And that's why I did it, and that's why we have it. It actually came from an article that was written by him, and it was published uh, many years ago. We've been reprinting it together with Rob Zimmerman's alternating in the Cautious Magazine for 35 years. Okay, another question. Can fish cooked flashics um i can't really make out the question but there's a question about the uh can you cook fish i believe he's saying in a flashic a pan or whatever it is the answer is 100 percent it's we don't there's no uh there's no danger of fish and meat coming from a pan or a pot as long as it's clean uh, the, the question is would it be flashic that's something else and are there worms and pineapples? We've talked about that here before. Basically, the concern on the pineapples is the outside. We're supposed to remove the outside. And if you'll notice, there are little brown pockets of indentation. They should also be cleaned out well, so you shouldn't see any brown. And you could eat the pineapple. There's no concern past that point. Um, okay, we have, a, we have a call. Go ahead. You're unconscious on the air. Can I help you? Go ahead, please. Hello? Yes, you're on the air. Yeah, I wanted to know if um, I knew that like um, Starbucks has the problem with um, the Kalem for a regular right re- regular coffee. Did I get like a, a regular black coffee without milk in Dunkin' Donuts? Again, uh, okay. Let's start from square one. Dunkin' Donuts they have kosher and non-kosher places. So we're talking about a non-kosher place. I don't want you're not talking about the Hushkoffer probably. So, so, so now, so what's the concern? The concern is whether or not they're selling non-kosher food there, and it's in, it's set up like a restaurant, because a full-fledged restaurant. This is the new teaching of the OU and the other cautious organizations. This is the way they are teaching today, that in a full-fledged restaurant. 
their dishwasher makes that all those kalim traits. That's the position of the OU and the basic kashrut organizations in America, that a full-fledged restaurant is no longer acceptable to buy a coffee. It's only from small places, kiosks, etc. I know some small places, and there's not much doing on over there, and the washing is not even a dishwasher, it's like in the sink or something like that. And in those kind of situations, it wouldn't be a problem. So you have to know details, and I can't discuss it intelligently over, 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 the, uh, the, over the radio now. Okay? I okay. thank you for the call. Thank you okay. very much. Go ahead. You're on Kasha's on the air? Okay, go ahead. You're on the air. Go ahead. Really? You're on the air. Go ahead. Hello? You're on the air. Go ahead, please. Yes, hi. I would like to ask you something about the grape juice as well, the wine. According to the Sephardim, that has to be 61% wine, and the rest could be used diluted with water. And I know by the Ashkenazi, it may be 17%. And I would like to know if Kedem is concerned about that for the Sephardim. Well, that's something that you should call Kedem about. And they are located, um, I don't have the number in front of me, but you could look them up. You can look at either Kedem wine or Royal wine. They have a Brooklyn number, and you can call them directly and ask that question. I've heard the discussion about that many times, and I'm sure that they're addressing it. But if you want to get details, I would suggest you speak to them. Okay. By any chance, you have the number, by any chance? No, I don't. But uh, if you call us at the office, I'll give you the number. I'll have my secretary give the number to you. Please call us at 718-336-8544. I'll just mention as well that anybody's interested in getting the Pesach issue of Kasha's magazine, it'll be selling in the stores for five ninety-five, And we decided to give it away free to anyone listening to JRoot if they subscribe. And if for some reason you're not satisfied with the subscription, we'll be able to refund your money. So that's like a free magazine. That it's a five ninety five item. Otherwise you can buy it in the store. It should be there uh this week. I don't know which day, but it should be there probably by Thursday or Friday. It should be in the stores because it's uh, being uh, delivered, I believe, tomorrow. So again, uh you can call Kasha's magazine if you're interested in getting the Pesach issue or subscribing to the magazine. Call us at seven one eight 336-8544 or you can email us at kashrus k-a-s-h-r-u-s at aol.com we have another caller? go ahead, no, okay so let me go ask some of the we have no, do you have time? one more? okay um, can we have some extra kashrus on the air shows leading up to Pesach you will have three shows dealing with Pesach in the next three weeks just, just listen to us again on Monday from 6 to 7. Someone asked here about uh, oven and Shabbos mode. Uh, the best thing to do is to go to the Star K website, star-k.org website, and they have a lot of information. They've been giving certification to many of them. There have been a lot of changes. A lot of times they had to redo their, what they were saying about the, uh, different, the different models. You've got to really spend time on it. And some of the salesmen in the stores are knowledgeable about it, but it's your responsibility to go to Star K to get the actual facts on the different machines. Okay? Thank you very much for listening, and get some of your conscious questions for Pesach ready for our show for next week. And if you want to reach us during the week, 718-336-8544.